Matthew 6, 9 and 10, and Genesis 3. I remember Stacy and I's second year in ministry, we went to Niceville, Florida, and were a part of a, a growing and a vibrant church. And our pastor, Phil Daniels, who you met a month ago, was in the very end of a service. And he was uh, just, he just stopped. And now that I've known him for years, I know what that means. The Holy Spirit was really talking to him. And he's trying to figure out what to do. And, and the Holy Spirit was talking to him that morning. And he just really struggled. He just said, man, I, there's somebody here this morning that, and I forget what the deal was. And, and uh, he said, I just really feel that you need to respond to God now. And, and nobody responded. And then he said, okay, God gave me your name. He just told me, there's a man here this morning, and I forget what, you know, this is your name. And this is the, and it wasn't anything embarrassing, but it was just, it was done in a very good way. But, and this is what you're dealing with. Are you here today? And I remember this man in the back there stood from the back and walked in tears and came to the front. And he said, it's me. It's me, I'm the one. And, and our pastor and a few other people gathered and prayed with that man. And something really incredible happened in that man's life. Now, as I was sitting there, when you hear somebody say, All right, God gave me your name. I was thinking, okay, <laughs> this is not going to be a normal Sunday. This is a little different than what we normally do. It's all out there now. And as I was thinking, what, what is that about? Let me tell you what that's about. That was about God's supernatural power acting to restore a broken person. Now look at Matthew chapter 6, 9 and 10. The disciples came to Jesus one day and said, Look, we noticed that you have a great prayer life. Would you teach us how to pray? And then in the Lord's Prayer, this is one of the verses. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, one of the ways Jesus taught his disciples and teaches us to pray is that we would pray that God's will would be done on earth exactly like it is in heaven. Does that sound lofty to anybody else? Heaven's like perfect. Heaven, heaven is just like the pre-fallen state of creation. It's perfect. It's a well-oiled machine. Everything works. Everything's in harmony. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no conflict. There's no dysfunction. There's no anything. Except full, vibrant, joyful, exuberant, energetic, peaceful life. But Jesus had the audacity... To tell his disciples and you and I that when we pray, pray that his will would be done on earth the same way that it's done in heaven. See, the world is governed by natural laws. Maybe you found one when you rolled out of bed this morning. Gravity. You feeling that? After you eat, you will. It'll pull on you. But the supernatural is beyond the natural. 
it oftentimes breaks through natural laws or works in spite of them. Now, if you're taking notes, you want to jot this thought down. God works through the supernatural in order to reveal himself in the natural. What do I mean by that? There are those doors that separate the natural, dysfunctional, broken world from the supernatural, whole world. And what God does is like a, like a thin curtain that separates them. At times, God will open the part in the curtain and reach His hand through from the, from the supernatural into the natural and grab onto something. Why does he do it? Because it's really cool to watch. Why does he do it? Because what he's trying to do is to reveal to you and I, there's more behind the door than we first thought. There's more to this thing than just getting up and going to work and getting a paycheck and doing that year in and year out till you die. There's something else to life other than what you and I see and feel and touch. He's trying to reveal that there's something else behind it. He's revealing himself. There are points of supernatural light that God uses to break through to us and transform the broken natural back to its healthy form, back to its uh, whole form. I call those moments heaven to earth. It's where heaven touches earth. It's where the supernatural invades and interrupts the natural. Now, one of those points that's highly supernatural, that we've sometimes underestimated or misunderstood the supernatural nature of because we live in the Bible Belt in the South, I'm going to speak on in two weeks, October 4th, is salvation. Salvation, if you had a seismic scale, salvation would be off the scale in supernatural activity. The natural world that God created is busted. It's broken. It's, it's gone mad. How else could you explain child molesters and terrorists roaming the earth? How else could you understand that? Killer storms, tsunamis, fires, floods, animal attacks, people killing people. Creation has gone crazy. When Adam and Eve took a bite of the fruit and God said, don't do it. He meant it. He really meant it. So God breaks through to the brokenness in our world through supernatural means. Now... What I want to do this morning as I introduce this whole series is just walk through a discussion on the supernatural in different phases. Where do you think we are in American church life? Not American culture, in American church in the supernatural. I, I think so much of the North American church has given up on the supernatural. I think we think we can... I mean, when you, when you go to these... Uh, um, denominational or, or really deeply established hierarchical uh, organizational church meetings, you get the feeling that we're just going to manage God into it somehow. Like, like a, we're going to knead Him into the dough and just, and just tweak everything enough that God will eventually find His way back in. Too many times churches become museums. 
Look at this artifact. This is what God did a hundred years ago. Wow. Moving along. This is what God did 95 years ago. And then 90, and then 85, and then 70. And then somewhere the tour just ends. <laughs> You're like, what about now? Where, where are we now? We started asking ourselves, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? It's what we started asking ourselves. It's a great question that gives us, in a sense, a moral compass. And then it kind of got relegated to what, what Jesus did. But the question you and I really need to ask ourselves now is not what, did, what would Jesus do or what did, what did Jesus do. What would he do or what did he do? What we need to ask is, what is he doing What's Jesus doing now? What's Jesus doing at 11.21 on Sunday morning in your mind? What's Jesus doing in your family right now? Because Jesus didn't die. He's still living. He's still active. He's still supernatural. What about the supernatural in American culture? America has always been a Christian nation. Or used to be. But as we phase God out of our daily life, as we, you know, we take him out of school and take prayer and take the stone Bible off the steps of the courthouse and eventually he'll come off the money and I mean, everything else. We're just going to incrementally phase him out of everything we got. But something is happening every time you do that. It's creating such an unbelievable vacuum that it's left America starving, the little sore, swollen bellies Starving for spiritual food. We're in such a state of spiritual decline that Americans are looking for spiritual life anywhere they get it. How do you know? Because, um, look, America's a, um, a very consumeristic and market-driven nation. So you can tell what's going on in American life by what, by what businesses start to pop up. Call psychic friends. Dionne Warwick has got the answer. And if she don't have it, Oprah does. You've heard of the church of Oprah. Larger than most denominations in America now. Palm readers. What about the book, The Secret? Shh, Secret. If you'll buy my book for $18, I'll tell you. It's a secret. Positive thinking. There's a spiritual famine in the land... And what people want to know is whether or not there's anything behind that door. They want to know if the spiritual is real. They want to know, they want to touch it. What about the supernatural in church history? You know, the, the fundamental Protestant church has always had a hard time with the supernatural. And I want to give you a, a Quick history glance to show you why. 350, 350-400 years ago when Martin Luther started the Reformation that he never really intended to start, what he was trying to do is reform the Catholic Church. But it didn't work out that way. But as the Protestant movement, you know, the people that begin to argue at the Catholic Church about some of the things that were going on, begin to protest. So they were called Protestants. And that's where, that's where the whole split came from. 
So the, so the Protestants, as the dust was settling in the argument between the Protestants and the Catholics, because the Protestants started reading the Bible for themselves. You don't have to tell me what the Bible says. I can get a copy and read it. And they started reading it. And they started finding out some of the stuff going on wasn't in the Bible. And so that's where the argument came. But look, here's what happens. You always have, you always have um, uh, issues and then you have counter-issues. Here's one of the counter-issues that came in. As they were arguing, the Catholic Church said, we're right. And I'll prove it to you. We have the supernatural. We have the miraculous. And you know what? They did. The supernatural power of God was active in the Catholic Church at that time. And they were right. They did have it. But the Protestants said, fine. We've got God's word and you're violating it. And if you think you're right because you have the miraculous, we just won't have the miraculous. We'll just have his word. Do you see where we've come from now? You see the problem? And in that root system has come a division where it's either or and not both. And so you see that split along denominational lines, along uh, uh, theological lines... But in the early 1900s, the spirit-filled churches brought an emphasis to the supernatural in America. But a hundred years later, so much of that movement is crystallized and stuck in the mud of bureaucracy that the supernatural has been marginalized again. Now, what I want, I've given you some history and snapshot of pop culture and all that. I want to go behind it now to Genesis 3. Look at Genesis 3. 6 through 10. What is behind all of this understanding between this side of the door and that side of the door? Between the supernatural and the natural. What is, what is behind it? Genesis chapter 3, 6 through 10. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking, the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man... Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. What's the backstory? Let me tell you a true story that happened that came from my youth pastor when I was a teenager that happened in central Arkansas. They were in a church service in a smaller building where everything was contained in one main room divided by curtains and stuff like that. So it was water baptism Sunday. They were having a water baptism. And what happened is, is you had the baptistry in the middle and a curtain on each side going that way and that way that separated the men and women's dressing room. And so as the pastor was baptizing people and they'd go back to the room and the next one would come and they'd go back to the room... What happened was, is this person was... If you've been baptized, you know the baptistry steps are like that. They curl. They don't have to come to a sharp point. 
Well, this person was coming down into the baptistry tank and hit the edge of one of those steps and went right off of it and grabbed the pastor around the neck with one hand and he went in and the other hand reached up and grabbed one of those curtains. And it tore from the top to the bottom. And this little guy that just got baptized happened to be back here dripping wet in his dressing room with nothing on. And mamas were covering babies. And this little guy was like, can you imagine? Oh, you know, thank God, praise God, I just got baptized. Can you imagine? It's a one-room building. There's nowhere to go. Now, let me ask you a question. In that moment, in that moment, what do you think that man should have covered himself with? Anything. Right? Does it matter? I wonder if that's kind of how Adam and Eve felt. All of a sudden... Their eyes were struck open by sin and they saw the darkness in life that they had never seen and they saw themselves in a way they had never seen themselves and they realized they were uncovered. And so what did they do? They run and hid behind a bush. All their lives, they had been covered by the presence of God like a warm blanket. But now in rebellion and disobedience, their eyes flashed open, they were uncovered, and they went and hid behind a group of bushes. Now, we feel bad for them. If you, you know, all you, don't you, when you feel that story, you just have this, oh, so sad. Look, the poor little innocent people, they didn't know the difference. Look, oh, isn't it sad? The thing is, though, you and I are just like them. We were born spiritually uncovered. So early on, what you and I did is begin to scrape around in the dark, trying to find something to pull up over ourselves to cover us. Some people choose, you know, success. They realize that they're good at stuff. They're better at some things than most people. So they cover themselves with that. Look at me. I'm successful. I'm covered. Some people realize that they're really intelligent. So they pull knowledge up over themselves and they say, see, I'm, I'm knowledgeable. That's who I am. I'm, I'm covered. Some people are very attractive. So they look around and say, well, I'm, look at me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a tra- I'm covered in attractiveness. This is, what, this is what prevents people from seeing the real me or me dealing with the real person that I am. I'm talented. Or my family name, I have one of the best family names in this entire community. I'll pull that reputation up over myself. And look, I'm covered now. Or, or popularity, or religion, or ability. We all grow up with that sense that was something gnawing inside that we're uncovered. And the thing is, we just start scraping for whatever we can find to put over ourselves because anything's better than what we got. Are you following me? So, what we do is we pull these things up over ourselves. To hide, to shield us from revealing 
the lostness of who we really are until we can figure out what to do with ourselves. So if we find something that seems like it works, we put it on. I'm an athlete. That's who I am. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an academic. I'm, a, I'm, I'm good at technology. I'm, I'm hardworking. That's who I am. I'm a hard worker. And these things often become a shield to hide us. Who do they hide us from? They hide us from the peering eyes of other people. God told David through Samuel that God looks on the heart, but man looks on the outside. So in an, in an attempt to hide from the eyes, when, when we first become aware in life, we feel like that cartoon where a guy's walking through the jungle and a million eyes are staring at us in the dark. And to hide from those eyes, we pull whatever else we, else we can. But here's what happens. In the, in the effort to pull those things up and cover, what invariably happens is we not only hide from other people, we start hiding from God. Isn't that what Adam and Eve did? There wasn't anybody else to hide from. So they just went straight to the source and hid from God. What we do is we start hiding from everybody else, but we end up hiding from God. To take the covering off is revealing and it's scary, but it's the only way to encounter God. We, we feel the Holy Spirit come at us. He takes the other end of that blanket and he starts pulling on it. You ever be real comfortable up on the couch, somebody starts pulling on your cover? What do you do? Pull it back. Hey, I was here first. It's my couch, so sit over there. Take the remote, leave me alone. And that's what we do in life. The Holy Spirit starts to pull that cover, starts to pull at it, starts to tug at it, starts to get tight. We start feel it pulling and we jerk back. No, this is mine. I mean, I was here first. This is how I'm covered. And the truth is, the truth is, we like it that way because we'd rather be covered by something dead than something living. Now, now listen to me. Let me give you two thoughts about this. When you allow God's presence to be your covering, the first thing you realize is He's living. You have now draped up over yourself something with a mind of its own. He is alive. He's not static. He's not dead. He's not stationary. He's living. And the problem, the problem that that creates for us is a huge amount of trust has to enter that relationship. But God, I've, I, I, everybody's always known me as this person. I've always been good at this. I've always, this is how I've gotten through life. This is how I got the job I got. This is how I found the spouse that I found. This is, a, this is what my whole life's built on. And God says, yeah, but that's dead. And when the world ends, it'll die with it. And the reason that we want to pull something dead over ourselves is because we can control it. We stand at the wheel of the ship and we can turn it any way we want. It's in our hands and it's dead and it's slave to us. So the first thing that we don't like is you're giving up something dead for something living, which sounds better. It is better. It's just a whole different way of understanding life. You begin to think in that relationship with trust. What if God changes his mind and doesn't want to cover me anymore? What if his idea of covering me and my idea of covering me are two different things? You ever go through that when you come in? What if God embarrasses me? Anybody Can anybody remember in their relationship with God when that was an issue? 
well, I would go to the altar, but what if God does something to me that embarrasses me? Did anybody go through that but me? Right? Because what you have is your dead covering and you don't want to take it off. Because the covering you're going to take on is alive. Now here's the other thing. When he covers me, he's not just stationary, he's searching me. Like a dermatologist with that flip over the head double magnifying glass, he'll roll his chair up as he covers me and search Every inch of my life. Well, that's like not comfortable. But you know what? It's the only way to find the cancer and get it out. He has to search you. But he can't search you if you won't let him cover you. So you have to let him cover you. In church circles, we've done... The same thing in covering it. It might be talent. It might be reputation, whatever. But when we really get spiritual, when we, a lot of times I see people when they get saved, what they do is they change one dead covering for another one. They did have this, now they got religion. They did have this, now they got denominationalism. They did have this covering, now they have doctrine. But either way, it's a dead covering. We cover ourselves with church tradition or the way it's always been done or with denominations or with our favorite doctrine or with routines or habits. And what are we hiding from? We're still hiding from God. The Bible can be a false covering. Let me tell you how. Do you remember the story? When the Protestants split from the Catholics, they, in a great way, were right. They were right with God's word. But through history at times, the scripture themselves became a hiding place between them and God. The doctrine, the, the systematic theology, the understanding became a hiding thing between them and God. They hid behind it, they hid from God. Is it that God only wanted to do supernatural things in this group, not in this one? Is that, is that it? How do you have the authority to stop the supernatural? How, where do you get that? Because we are authorized by God's word. Are you? How can you, how can you take on that role? God didn't give us the Bible to worship it. He didn't give us the Bible to hide behind it. It's a guide. It's a trail of crumbs that leads to him. It's a path so we can find him. You may think, well, you can't go wrong immersing myself in the Bible. Yes, yes, please do. Please do. Yes. Our minds need to be transformed from within by a new way of thinking that can only come through Scripture. Yeah, I'm with you. Just don't think because you know Scripture, you're something. Just don't think because you have some memory verses in your head, you don't need God anymore. You still need to be open to the living, breathing, the Ruach, the breath of God. Why do we have Bible scholars in America who are atheists? How does that work? Because I can, like an engineer, I can get in there, read, out, read all the literature, figure out how it works, and then I have the best way possible to hide from God. I can hide from Him in His own books, but there's no relationship. 
How is it you have people who can sit in Sunday school and three worship services a week all their life and go to Bible study after Bible study, know how the church works, knows how the Bible works, but carry on in such incredible immaturity? Because it's become a shield to hide from God. Look, in our type of, in our splinter of Christianity, what we're more likely to do is not hide from God in Scripture. We're more likely to hide from God in worship. How can you do that? You can hide from God covering yourself with anything but God. I'm a worshiper. I'm, did you, I felt this. I had this experience. I, I'm, I'm getting this hit. I'm getting my next fix. I'm getting in there with God. I'm, yeah, but are you or are you getting in there with yourself? You understand what I'm saying? You can hide behind anything except God. Once you cover yourself with God, things begin to change. Look, you can reread your wedding vows. You can keep a daily journal your entire first year of marriage. You can watch the wedding ceremony again on DVD, but that's not your relationship now. It's the one you had then. It's not the same thing. The point in all these things is this, that when you encounter God, that's where God's supernatural power starts to come in. And it's scary for us because in that experience, God calls us to take off the covering that we've been used to, the default covering that we got, and take on Him. That's what separates that door from the other side. That's what's behind that door. To get through it, and for it to get through to me, I have to uncover. I know there are supernatural points of light where God is reaching through from the whole well, alive, life-giving, supernatural universe that's eternal and is going to last forever into this temporary, broken universe. Those points of light where He reaches through and reveals Himself in a wonderful way to say, hey, there's more here than you thought. There's a God that's here. And He loves you and He's more wonderful than you could ever remember. So the question today is, what are you hiding behind? What's your, what's your covering? It, it, it probably comes through a default setting that you took on younger in life. You, you, may, you may have already dealt with it. But here's the deal. It'll always be your default setting. In weak moments, in tired moments, in moments of burnout, in moments where you're distant from God, your tendency is going to be to default back to it. To default back to it. In those moments that you begin... To sense some distance between you and God. If you're not careful. What you'll do. Is pull that cover up over yourself. Whew. I'm safe. Because we have to figure out how to deal with that somehow. See here's the thing. God is supernatural. It, this, this is not a series on how to connect with the supernatural. I like don't know how. This is a series on how to connect with God and really about those moments when He connects with us 
And just so happens the God you're connecting with is trying to connect with you is a supernatural God. It's who He is. I'm not telling you to desire the supernatural. I'm telling you to desire God. But God Himself is supernatural. And when you touch Him, you're touching a supernatural God who interrupts this fallen world with supernatural revelations of Himself that calls His will to be done on earth exactly like it is in heaven. What are you hiding behind though? God sees you back there. Up there. He sees you. I can tell you what I hide behind. You know my testimony. I grew up with a great physical covering. Every physical need of my life was met. Thank God. I was genuinely loved and cared for. I didn't have an emotional or a spiritual covering. So, when I'm 12 years old and trying to figure out who I am and who the world is, I learned to work through some stuff in life on my own because I didn't know who else would be there to help me with it. So that default setting is established. And then later on, I find God. And God starts to work with my life. But I realize this default setting I have is to say, I can do it on my own. Lord, I, I'm, I don't want to burden God with bringing all this extra stuff to Him. I'll just figure out a way to do it. I don't know what it'll be like. I don't even know if it'll work. But I guess I'll just figure it out. And as my life unfolds, that natural covering of, oh God, I, I should have, Lord, I should have brought that to you, shouldn't I? I shouldn't have just decided that on my own, should I? Lord, I should have, I should have sought your wisdom. Lord, I should have listened to your voice, shouldn't I? God, I'm sorry. After Hurricane Katrina struck, I was standing in the back of our church. We had three or 4,000 cars going through the front line getting food every day. We had hundreds of people coming through the medical clinic. We had supplies everywhere. We had a pile of clothes uh, as tall as those columns behind you. Children had dug a hole down on top of it, put a queen-size mattress and made a volcano cave in it. We had stuff everywhere. Our church overnight was unbelievably changed from whatever form it was to, to who know, who could tell what. I couldn't find nothing. Couldn't find people. Couldn't find workers. Couldn't, didn't know if some people were alive or dead. I mean, it was, it was unreal. And a pastor and an and a intercessory team came over and uh, helped us some. And I mean, we had hundreds. You guys sent, I don't know how many teams down. Six or eight or ten. It's just hundreds and thousands of people were coming. This pastor came to me and he said, we want to pray with you. I said, okay. All right. Did you not notice, you know, the 800 million things going on around me? I was getting over 100 phone calls a day on my cell phone. I think they posted my number on CNN on the bar at the bottom. 
36 area codes from which I knew no one were recorded the first three weeks after the storm. Just calls coming in, coming in. From, night to, from, from 7 in the morning till 9 at night. And then I would start returning calls that I couldn't even take because both lines were jammed coming in. My, my, my phone was hot. It was like a lava rock in your hand. Let me speak on my inferno. See, do you understand? It was crazy. And so a guy says, Hey, I want to pray with you. Okay, can you go back there and pray for me? I got stuff to do. Anybody ever been there? Because there's a lot of people that came through and prayed with me. What they wanted to do is show me how good they prayed. You sorry to be that honest? You know, we're not going to help you. We just want to go back to our church and tell them we've been down to the Gulf Coast working in Hurricane Katrina. Cling. But that was the exception. This guy had a word from God for me. And he said, you know what? We brought a gift to you. We brought you some money. We didn't know how our, if the power ever came back on, if we could pay the bill. We went three Sundays with no gathering, with no offering, with nothing. And we knew we only had three weeks buffer in the bank. So we were actually at zero at that point. And there we were. And he said, God spoke to me, I believe. And what he wants to do is break independence off of you. You're in a place where you have to be dependent on him. I said, you're right. He said, I'm going to put this money in your hand. And it's going to be prophetic. As I put it in your hand, God spoke to me and said, He's going to put a spirit of brokenness on you. A spirit of deeper dependence. And Stacy, do you remember that? You were with me and I said, Yes, Lord. And I'm telling you, when He placed that bill in my hand, I began to weep and my spirit broke. I had absolutely no idea how to handle what I was in. But I let that covering fall off. And I draped up on myself. Spirit of God. And I saw supernatural things begin to break through all around me. 